I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch Mental Fucking Breakdowns. I just I realized that we didn't discuss an episode title, and I'm like, what's going to happen here? I wasn't sure if there'd be a title or a long pause to discuss what our title was going to be, but you had something. I had it in the pipe. Yeah, you're like, I don't even need to talk to Aaron about this one. This is solid. This is gold. No, we needed eight minutes of talk about Smash Mouth, and then uh, boom, right in the title. Shh. Pete, don't. We're not talking about that yet. <laughs> Oh, 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 We're, this isn't the Smash Mouth cast? This isn't the Smash Mouth. Uh, so, Pete, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just uh, as you can tell by our rambling, that probably will get deleted. Uh, just the Watch Boys. Uh, just the Watch Boys tonight. <laughs> <laughs> no Pants Thursday recording. Not like I ever wear pants on these things. Yeah, but, like, the illusion that you're wearing pants is very important. I mean, I could, I could be. But I'm not. I usually but I could be. do a, sa- a noise reduction uh, whenever you do wear pants when you're recording because um, the extra static that the pants bring. Oh, yeah. No, I don't use dryer sheets. That's like a that's an Armstrong household rule. Yeah. Dryer sheets are for cowards. I'm always like, I forgot we have these. I'm not using them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so, uh, so Aaron, it's just it's, Pete. A, it's a two-hander, if, if I'm using that term correctly. Look, we you've 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 heard some great guests lately. There's been a lot of good people on. It hasn't been a Pete and I episode in a while. We're like, you know what we need? Uh, we've had Zach, just a great guest. We had Sam, fantastic guest. And we're like, but what we haven't had is the two pieces of dead weight <laughs> that bogged down this show. Let's see how far we can sink this, baby. <laughs> Call it the drag cast. Yeah, because normally we have someone, like, holding us up while we're just floating and, like, barely breathing. We're like, you know what? I've never seen the bottom. Have you? <laughs> <laughs> What's down there? <laughs> oh, man. The the life preserver that we're usually handed in the form of a guest uh, is just not here at all. So yeah. uh, Aaron and I might have the dumbest episode we've had in a while. It's okay. It's okay. We only We only decided to talk about two movies this time. So, I'm sure <laughs> uh, it's either going to be us, like, really trying to get back on track or somehow staying on track. I am guessing the former. I, I... I said for the former, but <laughs> when I listen back for editing, I'm going to see if that was right. And if not, you might hear me say the latter. It's good to make. <laughs> so you Slightly have to be right. Key. Oh, I assumed it was just a fun game where you guess what you just said three seconds ago. Yeah, it's going to be a long episode. <laughs> uh, so, Aaron, we have two films on the dock today. We do. And I think the other thing is we have no game because we were going to go through some official business up front. We usually save it for the end. Um, and, of course, this ain't no game. This is this is not any game. Uh, but we decided we have, some, we have some stuff we want to announce. Instead of doing a game this time, we figured let's 
Let's do a quick five minutes. Please don't hit that 15 second button over and over again because uh, we just have some announcements. Uh, we we are not sponsored. We have nothing to sell. We'd love to be sponsored. We'd love to sell you something. Uh, we just ha- we can't because people have decided to not give us money for that. <laughs> So you know what? I'm gonna be. The, we're gonna be the other. We're gonna be like the edgy cast. You know what? Blue Apron sucks. I've used it personally. The Edge Cast, sponsored edge by cast. Internet Katanas. <laughs> sponsored by Do the Do Mountain Dew. <laughs> sponsored by Cool Flames. You put on the side of your car. <laughs> it's actually sponsored by Cruzon Black Cherry Rum. <laughs> So, we have some important announcements real quick. Uh, so, first, again, we, we passed our one-year mark. Thank you so much for all the support. Um, Thank you. From all, from all of our listeners, all of our guests, this has been a lot of fun, and we've been very happy to see our audience only rise over the last year. So, so the house cleaning stuff, though, is the, you know, if you, the one, the easiest way to, to help us out. If you've got a lot of entertainment from the show, and you're like, I'd like to do something nice for them, but not anything that costs me money or really that much time it would be to uh, rate and review us on iTunes uh, it's an easy way to raise our, our show's profile I know every podcast asks you to do that but for us we actually mean it because those 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 guys they have like hundreds of reviews they just want one more they're greedy sons of a gun they just they want your reviews but we need your stars we, we actually need your stars so delete your other reviews delete your account start a new one <laughs> review us yeah commit fraud on the internet uh, represent yourself as ideally <laughs> wear a mustache when you post a second review fat johnson's 47 <laughs> that wasn't a real guy that wasn't his christian name is that <laughs> fraud <laughs> all right so so that's that fun part the the second part is a little more exciting so we if you haven't been to our website lately and you listen to your iTunes, we do uh, – we're kind of redesigning a little bit. We're going to have uh, more shows in the near future, not just from us, although we do have one little surprise kind of in the works. We'll talk about probably sometime more this summer, but um, some people that we've worked with in other capacities, both potentially some some completely new shows that we're excited about and some maybe some, some other shows that maybe you've heard before in a new location. So uh, we're really excited about that. But if you – again, we, we don't have the announcements for that stuff yet. That's going to come probably in a couple months. But so the main point here, if you want to hear those announcements, the easiest way for us to communicate with you besides what we say on this podcast uh, where we take away from our, our funny, funny riffs, they're all solid gold, uh, <laughs> is is our Facebook page, which is facebook.com, uh, WLTW podcast. Uh, there's probably a .com. I think I already said it. Uh, but if you like us there, uh, we, we don't. We're not spam posters. We don't have any. We're not asking for money, but we'll occasionally do little dumb jokes or post episodes or hopefully in the near future make announcements and some other things. And one of the things that we're going to do on that page in the near future, I will let Peter talk about quick. Uh, Yes. So the fastest way for you to get involved with the show, other than um, liking us on, on iTunes and also leaving us comments on our website... Uh, WLTWpodcast.com is to like us on Facebook and did, did, because did you, you not can... listen to what I just said? I said other just... than. <laughs> but I said but I said the Facebook part. You go but into the than... poll now. You, Hold on. You... Jesus Christ. Jesus fucking you are... are you for somebody that knows that they're editing this episode, you really have no patience whatsoever. I don't have any patience. I don't have patience for double work. <laughs> 
a thing that I've just decided. That's my old person right, is that at any point I can decide that something new is a problem and has always been a problem for me. <laughs> you are not old enough to be able to be pulling that card. Uh, I can pull all the cards. I'm old. Seen every card at least five to six times. Know them all. Hate them all. Hate, hate them all. Oh, what's that Joker got planned? <laughs> <laughs> um. So can I can I finish this? <sighs> can I finish? Why don't you have fun Thanks, with Dad. your friends? Tell them about tell them about your polls. <laughs> Is that what you kids do all day? You get around together and you talk about your polls. Oh, oh, kids these days always getting together talking poll numbers, talking polls, doing doing stat drill downs. <laughs> oh, you're probably doing pivot tables. So uh, on that Facebook page that Aaron definitely didn't mention, uh, we will have uh, links to uh, our polls, and it, you will help us decide uh, certain month themes, uh, certain um, month entries if we already have a theme picked. So, like, let's say we have uh, two or three movies picked for a month. We might reach out to uh, our Facebook fans and get uh, some feedback uh, on two other entries for the month, and we'll cover those movies. So, yeah, it's, so it's fun because you can sort of take control of the podcast in certain ways. We're really trying to open this podcast up to you, our listeners. And we'll do that occasionally, um, and, and crowdsource options maybe we'll... We'll be debating uh, a couple choices for a month. And we're going to do that more, um, not just in poll form, but we have some ideas for uh, some of our guests to pick some some movies and to be able to bring some stuff to the table. So we, we actually already have, I think, the year planned. But that year is filled with a bunch of a bunch of holes that are basically for that we've earmarked for um, either you, the listener, to help us decide or guests to decide or a combination of both. So... We're really excited about that. So, yeah. So, like us on Facebook.com. Uh, and uh, that that joke's, like, not even funny to me. And the fact that for a second I thought it could be funny is what made me laugh. I, I like that you're humoring yourself. I'm humoring myself. Uh, I gave myself a pity laugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if you don't Good. laugh at it, no one else will. Yeah. We pipe in laughs. Um, we're going to add a laugh track year two. <laughs> um, How brutal would that be? Oh my god! I can't even imagine. <laughs> like just recorded live like in front would... of a studio audience in Orlando, <laughs> Florida. <laughs> I feel like it would be yeah exhausting to be honest. Oh yeah, for sure. And especially, how do you choose like, uh, you know, the guff- is this a guffaw moment? Is this an awe moment? I like the idea of like the hooting and hollering anytime we agree on something. <laughs> Ooh. You know, <laughs> I like the the '90s like no tongue, closed mouth kiss where the that riles up the studio audience. <laughs> Did you know that in the '90s you weren't allowed to kiss unless a live studio audience ooed at you? That's what my parents kept saying. Yeah. Well, they kept taking us down to that studio to make babies. Um, you want to talk about Island of Doctor Moreau and oh oh and uh, and Lost Soul, the Doom Journey of Richard Stanley? No, no, I don't. Okay, well, we have two movies. I need you to segue. Nope, that's good enough. Okay. Okay, yeah, let's let's talk about uh, both of those films, uh, Island of Dr. Moreau 
and Lost Soul, the doomed journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau. Insert music. five second recap i think uh peter we need to we're going to decide this on air it seems to me like we should be talking about the island dr bro as that's kind of the plot summary we'll do and then we'll kind of use the documentary I, there are some there's like a couple big points i want to talk about in relation to the documentary specifically but i feel like we can kind of sparse them in as we're talking about the movie proper that feels right what do you think I agree. I think that ultimately the documentary needs to inform the movie, and it does. Peter, you're the five-second recap of The Island of Dr. Moreau. Five-second recap of Island of Dr. Moreau is nature um, um, finds a way. Okay. Does my voice sound significantly disappointed in you? Did you want me to to really lean into the Jeff Goldblum part of this? Uh, uh, the uh, nature um, finds a way. No, I'm I'm glad you did um, Jeff Goldblum and not like. I mean, there's no one in this movie that has like a impression that people do of them. So picking someone in a different movie that was released in 1996 that makes sense. All right, so here's a, here's a quick accent thing. So Val Kilmer makes fun of Marlon Brando's. Uh, you know, stereotypical accent. He does an impression of Marlon Brando in the movie for an extended period of time. Yeah. He's doing an impression of Marlo Brando, Marlon Brando, the actor, as he was known. He's well, he's doing an impression of Brando in The Godfather, yes, not in this yes. movie. He's not doing an impression of Brando in the movie, <laughs> yeah. which is very weird. So, like, which, what, what, wait, what voice do I do? Do I do a bad Brando? Do I do a bad Brando as Dr. Moreau? You know, you know, my number one concern for this, Peter, is I want you to have fun with it. So you do whatever you have fun with. What does his voice in the movie even sound like? It's like, okay, so he's got like a upper lip piece it's, it's, going it's on. It's barely, it's barely anything. It's like barely, it's like sort of uh, British inflected. It's like an affected sort of British, Britishy thing. I, mean, I don't even think it's that. It's like, it's like nothing. Like a fancy band. It's, it's a little bit of a fancy band with a li- uh, 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 Kind of. I honestly think if you played me audio from Marlon Brando in this movie and we're like whose voice is that and I didn't know anything about the movie and it was disconnected from any visuals I would have a hard time guessing I despise the heat it's like a very it's like almost like uh it's almost it's not like, Dr. Evil it was a like, Dr. <laughs> Evil impression I despise the heat oh so hot it's Want not to that touch the lava either. it's so weird because he's sort of like which is which lip. is funny because Austin Powers stole a very specific joke from this movie. Yes, yes, that wasn't so, a joke. Uh, but uh, nature but, uh, finds a way. Yes, nature finds a way is is my five second recap of this because it's essentially a theme that's been written through time of uh, you know what you know, I would have gone with stories, and it's H.G. Uh, Wells kind of helped engender that to the genre, and you know Jurassic Park and a bunch of other stories ran with it. I feel like nature beats nurture would have been a better five second recap. That's also also kind of true. Yeah. Though, I mean, nature, nature literally beats nurture when he... Literally. The, but the, the good freaks beat the bad freaks. 
Well, we don't like to call them freaks. (laughs) They're they're not real people, Aaron. I'm going to use my derogatory term. Uh, I I saw the documentary. (laughs) Some of them are real people. I'm not using Anna Pals. Um, All right. uh, So, nine second recap. um, David Thewlis plays Edward Douglas. And uh, it actually, I really like the opening scene uh, that you actually did not get to see in the same way that I did, Peter. Uh, Because the opening scene is one of the big changes in the director's cut, which I watched and Peter did not. Uh, More gore in my version. He basically, he's on this raft. He was on a peace mission. It crashed. Uh, The other people on the boat end up killing themselves over food. He helps kill him too. He's then found by Val Kilmer, uh, who takes him to an island in kind of this long, uh, boring intro. There's some weird stuff on the island. He says, don't come out. Don't come out of your cabin at night. But Edward gets out of his cabin and immediately sees... Uh, a crazy birthing scene that we're going to talk about, uh, where basically an animal person is uh, delivering a baby by other, and the doctors and surgeons are all other animal people. Uh, he freaks out and runs. He's met Feruza Balk's character, who is uh, looks human. You find out later she's not, and she plays um, Aisa. Uh, I don't know. Aisa. Well, the weird thing is Brando is always the one saying it. I know. It's it's between somebody with a bad, weird accent and then a, a British accent. I don't even think they say her name in the movie. I think they just keep calling her my daughter. Yeah. But so Aisa, anyways, plays Brando's daughter. Looks completely human. She rushes off and then they find this whole animal person society. Brando comes out and explains what he's doing. That basically he is trying to cure man's animalistic nature by doing these gene experimentations which so far have resulted in these animal human hybrids don't worry about the science not important <laughs> to anyone in this movie and and brando controls all the animals for as much as he likes talking about how these animals are peaceful and they've created this great civilization he has this thing that shocks them um, after and, and they have a pretty harsh rule of law after uh, hyena sees uh, sees another animal killed he decides he doesn't want any part of this he rips out his thing that the brand has been using to control them and eventually kind of leads his own revolt and kills uh, Moreau and then chaos completely erupts on the island people are animals are killing other animals uh, they want to become more animalistic in nature Kilmer goes crazy and starts dressing and talking like Marlon Brando and the Godfather and uh, William realizes that Aisa is actually looks human because they were injecting her with uh, certain genes and other people's blood that they don't have access to and that's why they brought William onto the island in the first place uh, so then everyone fucking dies it's kind of it's kind of crazy Kilmer gets shot in the head. Aisa gets hung from a tree, and eventually uh, the hyena and the the bad animals are killed, and uh, William leaves the island after being uh, wished well by the remaining peaceful animals, and uh, it's like, hey, don't come back. There's There's no one that can help us. We're our own thing now. Yeah, and in that sense, nature won because... Over uh, nurture. Nature won over nurture because the animals, the Anapals, say, you know, no more experiments, no more science. Don't tell anybody about us being here. In retrospect, they probably should have just devoured. Uh, yeah, it's a bad Edward. move. Uh, because yeah. And also because Edward's a, a huge dumbass. He's the worst part of this movie. Like David Thewlis, I honestly think, is the worst part of this movie. Really? It has a, yeah, we'll talk about that. Okay. Um, well, no, that's that's not true. Uh, Feruza Balk is the worst part of this movie. Um, <laughs> There's room. 
I don't know where I don't know where to put the floor. In. Well, you know, he, I, I guess here's the problem. Like, uh, Fruza Balk, I love in so many other movies, uh, but she's playing like a hip, uh, smart person, and here is like a scared. Uh, we find out later, animal. It just doesn't. It, she's not. She's re- and I'm I'm not blaming her because I she, I think she actually is a really good act, actress that I love seeing in movies. But she, whether it's the direction, because she obviously didn't want to be there at all. Uh, based on the documentary after they fired Richard Stanley. And she, you know, it's probably she hated John Frankenheimer who came in. So whatever the reason, her performance, though, is really bad. And she's not given much of a character to work with either. Uh, David Thewlis, I would say, is trying his damnedest to act in a movie that's not meeting him on his level. So he stands out as really bad because everyone else is fucking doing their own thing. <laughs> On some level. And him trying to, like, emotionally commit to everything doesn't work in the course of the movie. I don't think he's bad in the sense that he's not a good actor. I would have much rather had more Kilmer Brando bizarreness uh, in this movie than Thulis kind of saying, Don't worry, the doctors will be able to help you. And they're like, No, just leave us on our yeah. island. <laughs> You're right, though. It's, uh, it's so... You're right. It's so inert. So here's the thing about the movie is that it is uh, not fun enough to be on any of these sort of like fun, bad movie lists or it doesn't have the Jim Cotta energy where like it's so baffling that it's like fun. Half of the movie is really inert and really drab and doesn't have any sense of like forward momentum. Like the movie has almost no momentum and it reminds me of like... Bad cheapo adventure TV, like a bad Hercules or a Beastmaster style show. Because it's just like, then a scene happened, then a scene happened. I wrote down a note that especially the first 20 minutes feels like padding for a 1990s uh, Showtime version of the Outer Limits episode. Yeah. And so, like, I guess the narrative that a lot of people would say is like, oh, they took Richard Stanley off this movie. And I don't know if the documentary necessarily agrees with this or not. A lot of people in the documentary agree with this, that Richard Stanley's vision was so pure and so beautiful since he had the movie taken away from him. So the original director had the the movie taken away from him. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, That his vision before John Frankenheimer came in was so pure and so great that if they had left him to his own devices, that the movie would be beautiful. And there's so much compromised in this movie that, like, I don't see the good movie in there. So we should we should back up because you we're, we're you're you've already jumped to the fact that you don't like this movie. I feel like we should do a little background because I I don't even know if you've seen this movie before. I have. Um I saw it when I was 13 when it came out. Super excited about. It. This is Kilmer right after Batman Forever. And I saw Batman Forever like 3 times in theaters. You know, I was I was that age where I'm like this is it's got Jim Carrey who's never going to stop cranking out hits. And Val Kilmer, it was really good. Like, I loved it. And this was his next movie. And it was, like, PG-13, and it looked really weird. And I was – I didn't even know who Marlon Brando was, I think, essentially. But I was psyched for it, and I saw it, uh, and I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And I, I want to talk a little bit about later on about why 
why I think I loved it. Bought it when it came out on video, watched it a couple more times, uh, and then never watched it again. But always always held it in really high regard. And actually, I remember when I made my first version of like my top 100 movies of all time when I was in high school, uh, this was somewhere in the 90s on it. Because I just had these very fond memories of what a weird, bizarre uh, movie that was much different than anything I'd ever seen. And this is kind of like the power of... I feel like consensus opinion after a long period of time. So I haven't seen it since 15, probably. Uh, when I went and looked at my letterbox rate rating for this movie, and the last time I saw it, I loved it. I guess I'd given it two stars, which I feel is like a shitty thing to do in a movie that last time you saw it, you loved it. But somehow you decided you also thought it was garbage without <laughs> ever watching it again. Yeah. So I so I was I was really excited. To, this is actually one of the first movies when Peter and I started this podcast. I'm like, I want to talk about this movie. I want an excuse to watch it again and kind of see what I think about it. And I'll tell you what, I I bumped it up to three stars, Peter. I I I kind of still like this movie. Um, that's interesting to me because the it's interesting to me because I think that both of us have been pretty good about uh properly auditing our nostalgia. I'd like to do more nostalgia audit uh, episodes uh, because that sort of thing is a fun thing to contend with. Like, oh, I've had memories of this piece, but like, I just couldn't enjoy it. Was there something wrong with me this time? Was I in the wrong frame of mind? Or is this like just that bad? Um, my memories of the movie, actually, is I didn't see it as a kid, um, but I was young enough that I remember the ads for it. Okay. And there was these ads that I don't think used any footage from the movie. There were these ads that was just like, you could see like a shadow thing going through Jungle Brush. And I remember it scaring the shit out of me. And me and my brother are both super scared of it. And I loved it. Like, I was like, it was one of my first like horror experiences that like, is just like etched in my mind, like seeing this trailer and it would come on, I would get excited and scared by it. Mm -hmm. uh, jump forward a few years, I read the book. Uh, and I uh, really loved the book. Uh, it's by H.G. Wells. It's uh, it's like a lot heard of, of them. Heard of them? <laughs> hey, ever heard of a little guy the called H.G. Wells? Herbert Gilbert Wells. <laughs> um, it's uh, actually I, it stands for Hewlett Packer. <laughs> <laughs> Has great Wells hung good. <laughs> Hug good wells. Hung good wells. Hung good wells. They said hug good. Well, yeah, either one. He got a lot of hugs because he was hung good. <laughs> God. H.G. Wells, who, uh, you know. I can't wait for New Line to shut down production of this podcast halfway through to find new hosts. <laughs> I can't wait for God to shut down this podcast halfway through. Uh, so H.G. Wells is uh, probably the most influential sci-fi author of all time. So you should read that book. You should read Invisible Man, War of the Worlds. They're all pretty 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Yes. Read, Different read author, it. but read it. Wait, what? That's Jules Verne. Yeah, it's Jules Verne, isn't it? Yeah. You should read uh, all those books because they're short and fun and uh, just pulpy enough that, like, the fact that they're almost 100 years old doesn't distract you at all, I don't think. It's a great book. Actually, the movie is, in a broad sense, the structure of the movie is super similar to the book. You can tell that Richard Stanley, like, the original draft of the script that was just bastardized over and over again and actors kept adding their own scenes to the movie. There's a bunch of scenes in the movie that Brando demanded. I'm sure Kilmer demanded a few of his scenes. Um, well, and Frankenheimer didn't care. He he was doing this for the money, the ability to do a three-picture deal. So by the time he got on here, he was, like, trying to make a coherent movie and he didn't give a shit about the story. He had no personal investment. 
Um, I always feel like to kind of circle back to what we were talking about earlier, I feel like the consensus from the documentary is that who knows if Stanley's movie would have been good movie, but it would have been more interesting and more interesting. original and have a point of view more than this without kilmer and without brando and if you kept stanley on and without that hurricane that helps derail the production i think if stanley had had a normal production environment and had had actors that also wanted to make a good movie that he could have at least had a purer vision but like there's a lot in here from stanley that i think just didn't need to be here anyways but anyways i almost feel like this movie is a great basis for other movies or this book like this story is a great basis for uh, this idea of uh, like you said uh, man versus nature and trying to fundamentally change the way we were created and trying to become gods i can see why island of lost souls is like 60 minutes because that's the right amount of time to tell the story there's not a lot of things going on and even island of lost souls inserted the basically the same character that uh of feruza bulk plays which is this that's not in the book he did a few changes for some reason the protagonist's name changed it was prendick in the original book and it changed to well whatever edward douglas uh, um yeah it's a William? weird thing I'm, I'm assuming prendick was just like a weird word to say like prendick's a great name though yeah how about the insults fr- write themselves? Yeah, exactly. What about friend dick? <laughs> oh my god, I could use a good friend dick. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I've, uh, I'm I'm pretty attached to the book, but I'm not the sort of person who like uh, needs uh, my adaptations to be slavish or even particularly uh, accurate to the text. The dialogue is all super updated. Um, not much of the dialogue is from the original book at all. Well, and that was Stanley's uh, contention was that Wells would want it updated because it was of supposed course. to be uh, it was supposed to be on the precipice of a new age. So setting it in the past or not updating it is actually not what Wells would have wanted in his vision. Yes, and I agree with the the decision to update everything. As a concept, I don't agree with the way it was updated, Um, particularly like uh, in the original book, uh, Montgomery is sort of this like sad sap drug addict who's like kind of using drugs to like just get through the fact that he's maybe morally conflicted about what Moreau is doing. Um, And yeah, Montgomery is is an interesting character in the book. In in this, Montgomery, uh, Kilmer is just like... I'm just going to be like a wild hippie character. It's like him doing like a fucking like part Brando, part Jim Morrison thing. Like it's, it's, can I, it's, can I, it's, tell, can I tell you something that, that Kilmer's uh, my favorite part of this movie. And like, I actually really like his non-performance performance. And I'll, I, I can explain. It's like a myself. protest performance. Like he's like, I'm just going to be, char- I'm going to be charming and weird, but like, I'm not going to be engaging on any human level. I have I don't I can't think of another movie that I've seen where an actor, a good actor in a high budget movie doesn't commit to any character for the course of the movie. He's doing something different in every scene. He's doing it because he figures fuck it, I'm going to do whatever I want. His character has no consistency. You can't get a handle on it. Uh, you know, the the same guy who's trying to uh fuck with Brando by having rabbit in front of the other animals and eating it 
um, is driven crazy by the idea of his death. Like, there's no consistency. There's nothing. Yeah. You know, sometimes he seems like he loves the animals and is giving them drugs and wants to keep him docile. And then he seems like he's then he's all of a sudden the guy that I guess everyone's scared of. Like, there's nothing to grasp onto in his character. And that makes it oddly appealing for the the really weird aspects of this movie that I really like. I would say no character in this film interacts with any other character in a way that feels human and believable and inspires any sense of human empathy. Um, but everyone else is consistent that, like, in their weirdness. Like, I don't even buy when, like, Montgomery or um, Douglas are, like, talking about how sexy Feruza Bulk is. Yeah. Um, I don't even buy that they are attracted to her. And I don't buy that, like, I guess I, I she has a shit role. Her role should not be in this movie. It serves almost no purpose except for Richard Stanley liked the idea of a cat transformation from the, the yeah. 70s movie. And, and then having, like, a sex scene with, like, six nipples. Yes, exactly. He <laughs> wanted that in the movie. So he threw in Feruza Bulk's character. He bo- bonded with her. But then it didn't happen. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> all she gets is one quarter version of a scene that's, like, laid out in the documentary of her, um, you know, transforming and, and, you know, fighting off attackers and then getting torn apart. Like, her, and, and it's, um, I don't think any character in this film particularly has any interaction with any other character that feels compelling. So, like, Fruza Bulks uh, and David Thewlis and uh, Marlon Brando's lack of connection with one another. Uh, and I would guess to say Maling and the other members of that fucking freak family. Um, they're so weird looking. They're so it's like the worst yeah. makeup effects. It's so it's, yeah. It's Dan Winston's studio. Like this stuff, this stuff looks amazing or it looks awful, and it, there's nothing in between. Fuel, uh, Montgomery Douglas, uh, and Fruza Balk's character, they are all the ones that like should be bonding together, but like none of them click. And also. Brando doesn't click, but when Kilmer refuses to click, it feels like he's trolling the movie and Kilmer trolling the movie is super entertaining because Kilmer is this like, almost he was apparently this like bully figure on set, kind of like prep school douchebag <laughs> almost, or this like uh, creature of chaos. And so when he comes on set and he starts acting like he doesn't give a shit about anything, you're like, oh, wow, this is. He has some wild woolly energy here. Like, this is kind of fun. So he, I mean, like I said, he, everyone else is either not able, rise to the material is definitely not the right term. But <laughs> like, there's, there's either like the David uh, Thulis or the Feruza Balks who they are trying their best in a movie that's not participating around them. And they, they sink themselves. And then you have like the Brandos or and some of the other characters who are kind of doing these insane things that don't make any sense, but they're consistently like Brando say what you will about whatever he's doing in this movie. He's consistent from one scene to the other. Kilmer's not Kilmer seems to be actively in his performance, trying to sabotage the movie. And they talk a little bit about that. He was trying to like, he didn't want to be a part of the movie. He he asked. Don't want to be a part of the documentary either. Don't want to be a part of the documentary. He like he tried to get out. They don't even really mention this in the documentary that the reason that he was in the movie at all is because Batman Forever was a big success, and so they won't let him out of his contract. He was actively fighting against the movie. Brando was a little bit of a different case. Originally, he did want to be a part of this movie in the way that he wanted to be a part of any movie, which was not really. 
But he was he was still interested in the material. He liked Richard Stanley. He wanted to be a part of what was going on. And then his kind of fighting back against the movie was like this is almost like this goofy old insane man way. Like this is stupid. I'm gonna fuck with everybody. But like in kind of a nice way. He was he was for the most part. I know some of his uh, his fuck with stuff had collateral damage. But he wasn't like actively berating extras. And we'll get to that with that Kilmer was. But he was just like the world is a ridiculous place. This movie's extra ridiculous. I don't care about anything, and I'm gonna behave however I want to from scene to scene. So it's Kilmer was actively fighting against being in the movie, and you and his performance speaks to that. He's he's operating at a different level. But as an audience member. He just – there's nothing there to grasp onto. He's like – he's ineffable. He's like this person who from scene to scene doesn't make any sense. But he still is like Val Kilmer who has a, a natural charisma about him that you want you want to still figure out what he's doing. And I, I think he – if there is any electricity or life in this movie, I think it all comes from him. Uh, I agree. Kilmer is weird because like him being detached and all that would be perfect for a Dennis Hopper role where all he's doing is just like ranting and raving and then telling you some important character aspects or just things about the war and then he dies. Instead, Kilmer is supposed to have gone through some sort of emotional collapse because he's attached to Moreau and like yet when we But he see seems antagonist yeah, he seems antagonistic towards him the entire time. And that's transparently from the documentary that's transparently Kilmer fucking with Brando so Kilmer part of the reason he signed on was because he wanted to work with Brando he was super excited to talk with Brando Brando seems like the guy that the more excited you are to talk with him the more he doesn't give a shit about you yeah there's something there's something about having a desire he likes he likes fucking with people so he's happy to to you know, he can be a man of the people and go meet each individual extra and talk to him. But when Val Kilmer was over enthusiastic to meet him, he's like, "Nah, I fuck you." Yeah. So apparently they had one meeting. Brando ignored him, was a dick to him, said two words to him, turned away, and Kilmer then decided to be extremely petulant towards Brando. Um, so it really, it really does have that. Um, oh fuck me, fuck you. Um, <laughs> Kilmer was probably the one who had real antagonism towards Brando. And Frankenheimer and Stanley and and fucking everybody. Frankenheimer famously said – this isn't on the doc either. This is just from other things I read. He said that he wouldn't cast Val Kilmer in a movie called The Life of Val Kilmer. (laughs) And and on his last take, he said, get that fucker off my set. Yes, yes. And apparently people like clapped and were excited about that because they also hated working with him because he was kind of an on-set bully. Yeah, let's let's talk yeah, let's talk a little bit about that with because Val Kilmer so the Batman Forever stories were there too, that like the reason he wasn't in Batman and Robin is cause Joel Schumacher did not want to work with him again. And I, I haven't really gone down that kind of like it might be a good Garnery rabbit hole about all the stories of uh of Kilmer on set because now he seems like everyone's cool with him and he's mellowed out but he had a big head and was like just an asshole he in this movie he was like openly attacking crew members he was attacking the director he burned someone's face with a cigarette at one point like they you know everyone in the documentary hates him they said it's like the worst frat bully uh, he does not come off – I think Brando comes off well in like he's just an insane man. He's an insane man who thinks the world is insane and is playing along and there's something almost like charming about that. It's probably extremely frustrating if you're working with him and he and 
that kind of I don't care about anything, but I like seeing how far I can push people around me because I'm like Marlon Brando knew he was Marlon Brando and used that to make other people in power's life miserable. And that sometimes had a collateral damage to people that were not in power, as as mentioned in this documentary. But there's something charmingly bizarre about that that I can I can kind of get behind. Val Kilmer, on the other hand, I really like Val Kilmer. I do as an actor. He gives great performances, but holy cow, like he comes off as just like a literal monster who is just like the kind of person who probably was crushing bunnies' heads for no reason. Yeah, and he's just out, out of um, – he's above everything. I like the idea that maybe he that he just – they found him in the woods one day snapping bunnies' necks and are like – Might as well film it. Let's film it, I guess. <laughs> I mean, he's going to feel he's going to feel awkward if we he didn't mean us to catch us doing him doing this. So maybe if we're like, great idea, Val, let's put this in the movie. Way to experiment with your character. He won't kill us all for <laughs> catching him during his kiln time. Well, yeah, uh, one of the one of the Australian extras like caught him like trying to snap his neck and he like threw him and he's like, fine, I got to go kill something in the woods. Um, but, but Kilmer, yeah. So Kilmer is supposed to be a dick, but he's like in recent years supposed to be, he's still supposed to be kind of a nutty person. In recent years, he's supposed to be someone that people like, like hanging out with and think he's kind of like fun and funny. Like almost like he went through a 12 step program and like made amends with all these past enemies. Yes. Cause, cause now everyone's like, we had our differences, but he's a good guy. Like all the people that hated him back then. Yes. So, and, and, um, his absence from the documentary, David Thewlis isn't in the documentary and I'm actually more forgiving of David Thewlis not being in the documentary because it's like, he hasn't even seen the movie. Yes. I, I feel like for him, he's just like. He's like, oh, yeah, that was my attempt to be in a big budget action movie, whatever. He'd probably say this with a British accent. Um, oh, yeah, right, then. Oh, Couldn't yes. see the movie. Oh, <laughs> yes. That was when I thought I was going to be big shit in America. Yeah, he wanted to work with Brando, too. It's so funny having Brando on, on your set, like, attracted all these people that are me who were like, this was, this was not worth it. Thulis mm-hmm. is weirdly not mentioned in the documentary, like, at he all. He came so think, late. And I feel like they, they, like, had kid gloves with him. They were like, we don't have any bad stories about Thulis, so, like, let's just not involve him. Anyway, yeah. so, uh, but Kilmer isn't famously, uh, was an asshole in this production. He is not in the documentary. And, I, and there's a bunch of reasons why. One, maybe their pitch to him was bad, which is fine. I, I don't really blame people for not being into documentary like this. Well, this is a really low budget one, too. Yes. Two, he thought it was a hit job, maybe. Which, who would want to who would want to walk into an ambush like that about something you did 20 years ago? Three, he, maybe he um, has changed so much from then, but he's like, it's almost like an alcoholic hanging out with his, like, old drinking buddies. He's like, yeah, I just, like, can't talk about that part of my life anymore. Sorry. Um, well, it's one of two things, right? Or, it's either or, he's, or like, he's this, like still mad and he's like, no, I don't want to fucking, I don't want to fucking go in a documentary like this. Yeah. Do you have any more numbers? No. Do you have, do you have any other <laughs> scenario? Do you, can you think of any other reason why? I, I, I think it's what I, I think it's one of two things. Either he was like, I don't care. That part's behind me. He has no, he's not angry at the documentary. He just probably never watched it. And again, it's super low budget. This is, it wasn't like, it was released to theaters, but 
I mean, it's it clearly has a very amateurish quality. So it's not like, oh shit, they're getting Spielberg and all these other people to talk about this movie. Uh, fuck, I gotta be on it. He's like, you know, they had, they had like the head of New Line Cinema. There is no like bulk is the biggest star that they get to talk on this documentary. Val Kilmer on this documentary would be more bizarre than anything, to be honest. I, I love the documentary, but I just think that all they needed to secure was Richard Stanley to make this, and then they got you know, extras, and they got a couple producers, and they got the former head of New Line who will be in any documentary ever, and, you know, and that was basically it, and that's great. It tells a great story, but I I do think Kilmer being in this would be weird. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't even approach him, but if they did approach him, I would say either he's like, why the fuck would I talk about that movie, or to, ugh, I don't want to talk about that movie. (laughs) Yeah, but it feels kind of, it feels kind of even-handed. Like, it feels like a fairly even-handed documentary. So, like, the fact that they don't have him to defend himself is, like, sort of weird because, like, I feel like they didn't want to do a hit job on Kilmer. I don't think they did either because they didn't really, they do not spend that much time on Kilmer. And I've heard worse stories of stuff he did or uh, everyone's reaction to him when he left, or anything like that, in a reading outside of this documentary. Yeah. Man, if you had given a shit, like, maybe some of the scenes in this movie with you, like, interacting with people could be fun. Like, instead, it's only fun when he's, like, a one-man show, and he's just, like, talking about what drugs he's taking, what drugs he's giving the animals, and, like, what drugs he's on. He's doing that weird Brando impression. Like, see, I see, I love all that. I actually, I actually, And I actually like the one moment where he snaps into caring. Which is the moment where he realizes that Hyena has taken out the uh, sensor. His entire first second, he becomes a real character. It's like he sobers up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he has panic on And now, what he does, he does a goofy run over... Well, actually, no, first he runs away, which is really good. Like, he understands the power that's just been given to Hyena before Hyena does. So he sees him and, like, panics like it's a predator about to eat him. And Hyena's not there yet. Hyena hasn't figured it out. And if you're wondering why I keep saying Hyena, it's because that's his name. It's Hyena. <laughs> if you haven't seen this yeah, movie, right? it's, it's... Yeah, it's just Hyena. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not... This isn't one of those Aaron and Peter forget someone's name. Uh, his name is Hyena. And just accept <laughs> oh, uh, the different cultures have different names. Hyena, the K-pop star? Yes. <laughs> Same person. Also, and Hyena's really good in this movie. Uh, I, I learned that the actor who played him, who was an Australian native, died like a year after this movie. I got to totally disagree with you about the Hyena. Because he sounds like a G.I. Joe villain. It's a terrible Man, voice. Man, I, t- I disagree. I think he's really he's good. Not- I think he's... I think he's better than Ron Perlman, who I forgot was in this movie. Dude, Ron Perlman, I think, is the best actor in this movie. <sighs> okay. Okay, so <laughs> let's, let's focus on Hyena real quick. Because Hyena okay. has this, like, rise to power, which is what happens in the book. The death of Leopard Man, which, um, if we're talking best and worst, I think Leopard Man has the best costume in the whole movie. Best makeup, yeah. best costume. He is Agreed. actually really scary looking when he's like... He, uh, he looks way more feral than the rest of them. And he's doing the... Um, not like a spider walk, I guess sort of a spider walk, but he's doing this almost like exorcisty, like like a, a crawl, um, which is uh, one of the rules that he's breaking. He pursues Douglas in the jungle. That's another rule broken. Um, he eats the the um, the rabbit. That's another rule broken. So like Leopard Man is allowed to be sort of off the cuff and crazy in a way that like not all the actors are. And he's really scary when he's like that. And then they fuck over his performance. They totally fuck it over by having um, him turn into a CGI creature for 
for the big leaps. And you're like, if they had done wire work in that costume, like, holy shit. Like, that would have been, uh, he would have looked, he would have been the scariest thing in the movie. And also, if the movie were, were well shot and well lit and the movie were well scripted, like, it could have had a really scary monster for the first act of it. Or I guess second act? I don't know. Yeah. And I think Hyena feels like, who's the G.I. Joe character that's sort of slithery sounding? Cobra Commander? Yeah, he sounds like Cobra Commander. Hyena man. <laughs> yeah, I disagree. <laughs> Yeah, I hate that. I mean, I, I, hate I, his, I hate his growl, and his growls are like so you're, random. So, so you're glad he's dead. I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> no, I think a lot of that has oh, to do I know, with bad I editing and bad sound mixing. The sound mixing in this movie is so awful. Man, I disagree. I, I really think he's good. I think he's really good at kind of selling the the discovery aspect of like as he's kind of learning what he's now capable of. Uh, and I think it works well that he just doesn't he doesn't realize. It, in essence, everyone else is reaction from Kilmer getting getting running away scared and Marlon Brando's reaction. Like he's kind of he knew that what would happen if he took out the sensor, but he doesn't really. He just knows. That that this was placed in people by them, so he takes it out. I think he does a good job of selling the slow discovery aspects of, oh, that's what it means. Like, I don't think he immediately knows that that means that they can't shock him anymore. His his slow realization over a couple scenes is played uh, is played really well. I think that <clears throat> they do a couple really great things with the character, to be more positive. In the end of the book, uh, Prendick just uh, performs an act of uh, self-defense from the character. I kind of love the fact that they, um, Prendick is, or, excuse me, Douglas in the film, is just smart enough that he can uh, trick the, like, the concept of the ending is great, that he can trick this hyena man into, like, into giving into his, like, id-level jealousies and his id-level paranoia about his his power. And he's got this new power, and he'll do fucking anything to keep it. Like, that's the one thing that Douglas knows about him. And his death is really good, too. Like The, he- death, is, the death is really good con- conceptually, I'll say. <laughs> um, it's it's all like it's all like I have to watch this movie as like a an outline like it's the Matrix or something like it's just like a, all code and I'd be like this is this is nice there's there's some bones here that I like and I realize that like a lot of the bones are are just from the book I like the book but that that scene where he tricks the hyena into killing his own comrades and gets shot in the process yeah. that is a and him shocking the whole crowd of mutants that's a great addition to the book. That wasn't there. I also like the shock device um, that they're all tagged and that they control in that way. Though it it does kind of weaken the horror of it. Like in the original book, the creepy thing about it is that like Moreau had so much faith in these creatures that he never had to shock a single one. And, and then even when he even when the book in the book Prendick excuse me Prendick kills and Douglas kills uh, an animal and Moreau is mad. That he kills the the leopard man. See, but that's that's one of the reasons I really like this movie. So let's let's do this quick. Um, I wrote a list of things I do really like about this movie, and in one of the one of them is that. So I, I kind of want to just read them, and then we can we can pick and choose the stuff uh, that is worth diving in deeper. It might not be, but because I know we're not going to get to everything, because there's still a lot of stuff with the documentary I want to talk about. Here's the stuff I really like. I like the weird religious and cultish aspects of the animals that basically, you know, uh, Ron Perlman's character 
is preaching that they should be human, and basically hyena leads a uh, a schism or a reformation where no, actually we're more animals and we need to be killing things and we need to be on all fours and all this stuff. So I really, I really like that aspect. Um, I love the fucking birth scene. I think, uh, that's creepy as shit. Can we pause right here? Yes. Can I interrupt? Yeah. Can I interrupt you and yeah. you just mark your place in the list? Uh, cause it's a good way to, to just keep things moving. Cause there's so much between these two movies. So, yeah. um, the Ron Perlman thing. Ron Perlman is my favorite character in this movie. I'm not saying it because it's Ron Perlman. He knows how to work the prosthetics. He has a really great sort of goat band prosthetics. Uh, it was Ron Perlman's choice to be blind. Apparently the character wasn't blind originally. Yeah, Ron Perlman's my favorite character in this because he's like weirdly more comfortable in the, all that makeup and in this island with these co-stars who fucking hate each other. He's weirdly more comfortable in that than David Thewlis is in the lead role. Perusa Balk is even in her super limited role. Like he's just so he gets the movie. I love Ron Perlman. He is definitely my favorite actor that's in this movie. <laughs> I just I don't think he does I don't think he does all that much. Like I don't think he's bad. I just think that he is kind of I like the concept of him. I just I don't think I just think the whole movie is so embarrassing and Ron Perlman is so dignified and so like I don't know. The word handsome is coming to turn, like coming to my mind for some reason. Like he has this like sense of like this sense of self uh, identity. That's it's so like when he comes on screen, he starts speaking with this like deep, deep booming voice. You're like, yeah, I think he kind of devolves into like a Farscape character. Like it's just kind of this like think of the lawgiver, and he's walking around, and I don't know. It doesn't. He's trying to do a weird thing, but he's being topped by bizarre stuff by everyone else. So, I, like I said, I don't think it's bad. I like the idea of conflicting uh, basically religious ideologies between the the Doctor Moreau animals. I just, I don't. But he's but he's in the movie for like five minutes. I just don't think there's much there. Well, yeah, that's a that's a something that I'm very very interested in having a tyrant near you. The someone that controls your whole life and someone that created you, basically, especially. That's an extra component. Um, it's very easy to devolve into, like, religious zealousness. Yeah. Um, and in, in Ron Perlman, the moment when, uh, at the towards the end, David Thewlis is saying, as part of the trick on the hyena, David Thewlis says, the, the hyena says, who's God? Basically, set, like, calls the hyena the true God. And Ron yeah. Perlman, as the goat man, the lawbringer, one of the lawsayer, uh, says, uh, like, no, like, he lets out, like, a, like, a no, stop, like, that's, don't, that's heresy. Like, yeah. even in this moment that he's pretty sure he's going to get executed in three seconds, that's just not right. Like, this is, my whole existence is based on that. And it's a really, like, uh, a compelling little, mo- like, character moment that I think elevates him above what you say he is, where he's just sort of, like, a simple, like... Because I hate that shit in sci-fi movies, too, where you're like, this dude is written to be, like, the dude that says the rules of the universe. Like, I hate that shit. Um, I think Ron Perlman adds humanity to the movie. Yeah, again, I, I think it's fine. But it does it definitely doesn't stand out to me. Like, I like Brando and Hyena and um, and Kilmer way, way more than Perlman in this movie specifically. But anyway, so here's why I kind of – so maybe this will be a good a good point to talk about a thing that I like about the movie quite a bit. I don't think the movie works as intended, but I do think the movie works. And I think the movie works because the best part of this movie is this idea that is, – is, is, is providing this sense of everything is under control and then everything descends into this 
nightmarish chaos. I think the some of the incompetence of the story structure really lends to selling the chaos. I feel like the movies is chaotic and kind of nightmarish because of a lot of uh, weird choices because of some of the things we discussed that happened at the documentary. And I feel like the performances are all over the place. But where that works is that sense of, holy shit, everything is just completely falling apart. And in no in no way, there's, there's no control left. And the movie feels like it's out of control. I think that makes it work. So that's why Perlman doesn't work as well for me. As Kilmer, just because this idea of there's nothing tying anything together anymore. But th- I feel like those that last half hour really just feels like a nightmare you want to end. And that's what, that's what it's trying to do. I would agree if um, I felt like Thelis's spiral was compelling. Uh, he is absolutely dead weight in the middle of this movie. And I will agree he, that he on is. A, I, I'll agree with you that he's maybe the worst Part. It's hard. To, it's really mean and hard to say that, but like, holy shit, he's he's at the bottom because he's not weird or funny in any way, and he's not emotionally compelling. So he's not like this accidental. Good and he probably followed the script in a way that Brando and Kilmer didn't. Yes, and he was given a, an impossible position. Yeah. Uh, so, but like, let's. Thulis is definitely the least interesting performance, the least compelling, all of that. Because like, you're not, you're never asked what Thulis is doing. Like, it's always just like, oh, he's sad. Oh, he's he's also sad. There's no spiral, which is a big thing. Like, I don't, I don't need plot in my my chaos. Like, I love the second half of um, High Rise. So, like, I think High Rise succeeds as a sort of movie devolving into chaos. Well, yeah, the I devil- mean, High Rise, High Rise, obvi- there's, I mean, there's tons of movies that succeed at this better. I, but, but I'm saying, like, an example of why it doesn't work for me. Um, and also, the but devil like, even okay, for- let me ask you this, this, let me ask you this, then the moments where within with 15 minutes left to go in this movie. So, first of all, Brando dies an hour in. Which was very surprising to me the first time I saw it. Uh, still kind of surprising how little he's in this movie. He shows up at the 25-minute mark and is gone by the hour mark, which is crazy. Then, with 15 minutes left to go, they shoot Kilmer in the head. And they hang Aisa from uh, a noose. Like, that's ballsy for... And, yeah, you can say maybe the production stories behind it had to do with some of those decisions. Uh, to get Kilmer off the set. Maybe that was always part of the script. Maybe not. But I, I feel like... Definitely as a 13-year-old watching that, I was taken aback how they killed off everyone. And I, it still feels a ballsy move. I agree. It, and the, I, you, agree I, I feel like you feel hopeless. Like, the, this whole movie is setting you up to to Thulis and uh, Aisa being together. It's very confusing that I'm using one actor's name and one character's name. But uh, Thulis and, and Balk to be together. And then they, like, with no, with no pomp and circumstance, string her up with 10 minutes to go left in the movie. Um, I agree with you in the sense that like, so yeah, so I don't feel Thewlis's spiral and I agree with you in the sense that it's kind of um, throws you off to have this, these main characters getting murdered right before the end where you're like, shit, do they even serve a purpose? Did they serve a purpose? But I think, but I think that the, 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 there's not fun chaos in the movie. Weirdly enough, like, so you said you have the director's cut of the movie. Which is like a hilarious thing to call whatever cut you have, because it's like a little. Yeah, I don't know how much Frank. Well, because Frankenheimer did. It's basically it's the director's cut in the sense that it is the version they submitted to the MPAA 
And then they said, you need to cut the stuff. You're going to get an R rating. And I don't know how the movie doesn't have an R rating. Because there's animals fucking on screen. There's animal boobs. Um, there's a lot of blood. There's a lot of on-screen people being shot. Like point blank. Well, the five minute the five minutes that I saw is why it didn't have an R rating. Okay. So I maybe maybe the reason that the climax felt more fun in its chaos to you or it felt Oh I don't oh, I don't think I don't think it felt fun. Or it did not feel in fun. Its chaos. A lot of it has to do with the way it's shot. The movie's not shot dynamically. And no, I think it's if not. you're gonna have chaos, you have to have like this like you have to have a roving camera or a clever editing or something to make me um, just like feel a sense of excitement or something that acts on my subconscious. So, first of all, I, I do want to say I don't – it's not fun chaos. I think it's supposed to be nightmare chaos where everything is falling apart and you have nothing to grip onto. And I think it's not fun, but it sells that idea of hopelessness really well. But there's like no sh- use of shadows. Like it's not well lit either. It's weird. So I agree. I agree with you that remember I'm not. I'm not saying this is an amazing movie. But oh, of I course, saying, of course, I am saying that I am overall. You know how you take those surveys at work that are like strongly agree, slightly agree. <laughs> I'm I'm in, I'm in the uh, agree. I'm in the slightly agree category that this is a good movie. One of the things I find most effective is that it does it it's it sells the sense of a nightmare. Could it have sold it better with much better direction because the direction's garbage? Yes. Could they have sold it better if someone besides Thulis was doing something in this movie because he is just a just a complete wet noodle at the center of this as they unravel a, a conspiracy? Yes. Like, I'd like to see the George Lucas cut where they just take him out and just tell the story of the island, I guess. <laughs> like that. And then the movie just ends with uh, Balk hanging and Kilmer shot on the ground. Like that's fine with me. So it's not it's not great, but I do think it it does successfully do that. And I I actually like the point of this movie. And maybe this isn't the point of the movie. This is uh, to kind of skip down to the next thing I like about this movie. You mentioned that you didn't like that, or you like the concept of that he has the shocking thing, but it kind of undercuts the theme of the movie. I love this new theme of the movie though, which is this person Moreau is absolutely full of shit. He is preaching this, we're going to make this perfect man. We're going to do all this stuff. And they're, oh, I have a great culture. And it's it's peaceful and all this stuff. And he is controlling them with, with horribly painful electronic shocks to the heart. And he is so deluded that he doesn't see the contradiction there. That, that feels resonant today. This idea... That someone could be so ob- obviously hypocritical, so obviously not following what he's – like the, his actions and what he's doing is not following what's coming out of his mouth and he himself somehow doesn't see the problem there. I feel like that is extremely resonant. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. That's something that I hadn't thought of before is that – like because I, I, I should double back a little bit. I do not expect – adaptations to if i made anything clear in the show i don't think adaptations or remakes or any any sort of reinterpretations of the original work need to be true to the original work or even say the same thing as the original work yeah i like think I, you made that clear and then the other thing you've made equally clear is that you have definitely had sex with a human person at some point yes um i am not a virgin anybody that says that i am uh, is a liar and you should not listen to megan She's, uh, I, I don't even think that she could be considered a human being at this point with how much she lies. 
She's just like a reverse human being, like an anti-human being. She's like a like Aaron. A, like an like an animal. She's like an animal, Aaron. She's like a fucking animal. <laughs> no, we know you fuck things. I fuck. Uh, I fuck. I fuck. I'm 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 Peter Moran, and I definitely fuck things. <laughs> Is that what I sound like? I mean, when you're talking about how you fuck things, yeah. <laughs> Have you? That's been what I want. That's what I. That's what everyone hears. Have you been talking to my girlfriend? Uh, so, yeah, that's I how, know. That's, that's how you're going to propose. I want to <laughs> fuck you as man and wife. I want to fuck I you and I am things. not already a virgin. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> Let's not do this for the first time. If uh, this is weird in any way to you, uh, it's just because like, this is how we do it here. Um, you're just not used to it. Oh, you you're never the been to the bone one. zone? You never been to the bone zone before? This <laughs> is the first time at the bone zone? Ow! <laughs> I think that um, if the editor accidentally – and the editor is a hero here. The movie is an hour and 35 minutes and I'm sure they yeah. have like three hours of footage that they had to cut from. Yeah. <laughs> he's, a, he's a hero because I don't think all, you would all, like this all, movie. All, all 35 minutes of Brando is in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you would like this movie if it were two and a half hours. No. No, I wouldn't. Or maybe we love it because there would be more craziness and this is like – this hour and 35 minute cut is like – Like uh, I said – Take out Thulis, the first 20 minutes is like this nightmare of just setting up nothing at all. It, it feels like a it feels like a time waster. Like, I don't know, we let's just keep filming these two talking about nothing as they get to the island. Like I, I really think the good stuff kind of happens and then alternates good and bad about the time of the the pregnancy. But like I said, I mean the reason I really like it is just because besides being relevant right now i think a lot of movies do mad scientist movies or like these people in these positions of power where if they're hypocrites it's subtle hypocrisy and they don't and they realize it like it's it's the it's the lex luther where he talks a good game but he knows that what he's trying like he has another scheme going on and he has ulterior motives so i think it's it's rare to see that religious leader politician person with power portrayed as someone who is a very obvious hypocrite that anyone with that that can connect two sentences uh, can see. And that's because the movie's an obvious movie. Uh, it doesn't have much subtlety. But the idea that he doesn't see it as a contradiction, that feels way more true to real life. Yeah, it's interesting that he doesn't even trust his own, his own system. And that's not um... – it's not or his own Park, children or his own children and it's not a jurassic park thing where it's like uh hammond has too much trust in his own way of controls of nature and like nature being uh wild and being itself uh within his confines is like his failure is because he trusts his confines yeah. too much this is different where it's like he Look at all my children. They're so well behaved. And then like immediately, like as they're arriving on the island, a rabbit is being torn up. Yeah, he he thinks he's created something fantastic, but then says, well, everyone needs rules. And that's that's his justification. He can shock people and torture people because uh, they everyone needs punishment. Everyone needs rule. Everyone needs judgment. So I think he that's not what he's preaching. When, when not in those specific situations, he is preaching this idea of a world without hate and a world with all this stuff. So it's this this very common contradiction you find in uh, religious people, in politicians, where they're so tunnel-visioned on their ideological focus 
that they can't see the the mounds of shit that are covering their tunnel. He seems so uninterested in the chaos around him. Like, he doesn't seem to want to control it in the way, like, Montgomery, I think, actively fears the animals, or at least his character yeah. is supposed to. And Well, that's why he's going outside of Brando's orders. Yes. Like, Brando's not telling him to give him... If anything, Montgomery is the perfect person who has more understanding than Moreau, but is taking steps to reinforce Moreau's own misconceptions. Like, he's he's the, the Goebbels to Moreau's Hitler in this yes. scenario. Like, he he is the one that is helping to prop up uh, Moreau's uh, misconceptions about how nice everything is. And Kilmer thinks he's full of shit, and Montgomery thinks he's full of shit. So he is like, there's that moment where... And this is like the movie in a nutshell, like a scene that I think like on paper, the writer thought was really powerful, but in reality, it's not. So they finally catch Thulis and Fruza Balk are running from Kilmer, running from the animal people. They they get caught by them. And there's a moment when Brando shows up in his, in his Hummer with his white makeup. And he <laughs> he's he hasn't bitched about the heat yet, I don't think yet. No, uh, this is that scene. It's one of the first thing he says. Yeah, he says, he's like, here, give, give him, him the gun. gun. He's yeah. very frightened. Give it to him. Like, yes, he's frightened because you pointed a gun in his face. Like, there's no logic to what he's saying. And then, then Montgomery looks at him like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Well, but there's no logic for Montgomery to chase him. So, yeah, one of my favorite scenes, the birth scene. Uh, he he escapes from his uh, he escapes from his hotel room or whatever, and he walks in on this something that we know for a fact is from Stanley's version because we saw the artwork. Animal people delivering an animal person's animal baby. Yeah, like, and I, I that was something that um, the it's a really creepy scene. It it's is really creepy. creepy. And it's got, like, the Stan Winston alien resurrection, like, fetuses and tubes. Yes. Yes, it does. They're in, like, yellow embalming fluid. Um, yeah. I th- that scene um, in the in the Lost Soul documentary, they show um, Richard Stanley's conception of it. And it's, like, much more modern and much creepier. Um, in our version of it, it's conceptually creepy. But, again, the way that they shoot this stuff is just so awkward i do not want to be the dp on this movie because you're shooting like probably everything and then thinking in the back of your head like all of this is going in the garbage like there's no way they're going to release this movie i've been here for six months like can we just please go home like the dp on this movie um i don't think they had a lighting guy like everything is shot like super bright lights and the lab scene would be super creepy if they had used shadows well or if it had been like this big bright like cronenbergian sterile environment but instead it's like a pretty cool visual effect it's a pretty cool visual effect but it's just not yeah, the well baby's, delivered. The baby is creepy. Agree. And so too to quick and they don't follow up with it. They should have had – like they cut to them running away and then the movie turns into a boring chase movie for 10 minutes. Like they don't – whatever whatever effective creepiness and special effects they have, they don't capitalize it. And they go away from it almost immediately and then go to like one of the worst stretches of the movie. And then I like when Brando shows up. And I think there's some fun stuff there. But yeah, I, I mean – Let's talk like about – like, Let's talk about the fact that they're just kind of like roaming the island. Like Feruza Bulk yeah. betrays then, her father and tries to save this guy, and like he's just kind of, and they're, he's just kind of roaming the island. And occasionally he'll be like, "Oh yeah, I should try and get off the island." Like Thulis as a character, yeah, Douglas as a character is so weird. 
everything that he does is not worth talking about, in my opinion. I almost hate saying that. I'm not trying to like, oh, you want to talk about this, but there's just it's it's the least it's just boring, it's uninteresting. They don't give him any motivation. He like I called him a wet noodle, I think, earlier. Like he's just a he's everyone else is having fun and he's trying to be in a movie. And no one else is in that movie. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it, and it's funny because like if they had informed given Thewlis more time to be like, I need to get off the island, I would hate the movie more. Yeah. So like, I, I'm glad that it's so stripped down. But way more interesting thing is him landing here. He's he's a scientist of some sort, isn't he? I'm trying to remember what his role. No, he's is. a UN peace negotiator. He's a UN peace ne- negotiator. Regardless, he's somebody that actually could be something really interesting. Where he's yeah, like, I know, it did did not come up, yes. come up again. <laughs> yeah, uh, but that's something way more interesting. Is is when they have scenes where he's sort of like helping Montgomery with the the, the the island and all that, and you know, he's sort of walking around and seeing how the island works, and like the idea of him being almost seduced by the island as this like man animal paradise is appealing him going like oh no the radio's busted after like 30 minutes of us watching animal people run around you're like where 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 are you rushing off to buddy like why uh yeah because eventually they kind of keep him as a prisoner and then like some indeterminate amount of time passes and you hear like this occasional voiceover where he's like i didn't want to be on the island of dr moreau (laughs) but i couldn't find my way out and then, like, they show a scene of him, like, trying to send radio communication. There's Val Kilmer, like, who, Val, again, great. I think these these choices are bizarre and would have probably rightfully infuriated any director. But the fact that he takes the part of the uh, satellite that he's removed and sticks it to his hat so he can put his hat in David Thewlis' face <laughs> to show him <laughs> that he's taken it. It's so fucking – why would you ever do that? Those are the little touches of just complete insanity talking about a movie about the like the meltdown of civilization that works for me. Yeah. And I, I, I wish Steelus was just on board until like the end because it would be just way more interesting. If they had someone like if he Again, high rise. Become, yeah, if he started to become seduced by it, if he if he wasn't seduced by it, but like just started going insane on his own. Because one thing that this movie does is I don't think Thulis is a proper protagonist, at least as portrayed in this movie. I know he's supposed to be. I like I know I like this at the age of thirteen when there most movies you watch by the age of thirteen have a clear hero and clear villains, and I like that everyone was just kind of nuts in this movie. And he's he's supposed to be our hero, but he has no he's not really advocating for everything and he's not present and the movie's not really following him any more than it is anyone else so it's just kind of like he's trapped in chaos yeah he's um and dumb and doesn't know how to get out and <laughs> he's like know. it's like he's not so, fun. He's so, he he's so to, fucking bad he doesn't get to spiral into, into insanity like you know that would be a fun thing he doesn't get to fight against he doesn't get to like help the animals rise up no, he doesn't. He doesn't get to instill order and become as the you know the new god of the island. Like he doesn't get to do fucking anything that a protagonist no. would get to do. And then the announcement makes no sense because he is portraying someone who still has Aisa alive. In that he's kind of like, well, that was some crazy shit I went through, but. Everyone I care about still okay, because he's like half smirking and like, well, we did it. We finally escaped the craziness. How are you guys going to be? He's like got a half smile. Everything's okay. Like 
there was a meltdown of everything that you know and you are unaffected and then having this little discussion about do you guys do you guys want doctors to i don't know do something although this is something that's not i couldn't find any reference it into the movie but the internet movie database summary and wikipedia insists it's true is that this movie set in 2010 wait what i don't yeah. They must have been okay, so that's another thing from that's different from the book. The the book is entirely about uh vivisection and this idea that like by taking an animal apart and looking at its pieces and how the pieces function, that you could change the animal if you change their anatomy. Mm-hmm. Um which is an interesting idea. I don't entirely understand it. Um or else I would have explained it better. Uh <laughs> Or else I would be a doctor. Well, yeah, they didn't have gene splicing. Yeah, so gene splicing is a new addition. This was uh, right around the all the cloning controversy, like Dolly the Sheep and all that. The, the idea of, uh, you know, cloning and gene, gene splicing and, uh, you know, uh, changing a, a fetus in the womb was all uh, an idea that, like, was very controversial and very uh, talked about. And it's interesting in this, but it's, like, something that, like, the movie is not game for. Like, the movie is no. not up to the task of talking about the, the... I think, like, the movie, like, the sixth day is more game for talking about the, the moral yep. quandaries of cloning than this. Brando has, like, a two-second explanation for what he's doing to Thulis when he first gets on the island, but... Yeah, it's not, it's not really that interested in that. So, I just confirmed, though, Wikipedia and IMDb... Uh, summaries both start out with in 2010 United Nations uh, negotiator. So I don't know how you're supposed to know. Maybe there's a title card I missed. I don't know. But and this it, movie also, hey, fun it, fact. Did you know this movie made money? No, it didn't. Uh, according to Wikipedia, the budget was 40 million, and this will obviously international, but it made 49.6. That had, I think with marketing and stuff, that had they had to have lost money on it. Fair enough, but like it's considered they don't count that. Yeah, I, well, mean, like, they do I don't think they did much marketing for this movie. I mean, I saw I saw the same ad quite a bit uh, growing up. So maybe was it on a tape of a TV show that you've recorded? <laughs> I saw the one ad and I watched it a hundred times, which meant always that... followed by the Noid. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the, the Gene thing is the Gene thing is undercooked. We should move towards the end, but the Gene thing is totally undercooked. It, the movie has no. I don't know if people could guess this from now, but the movie has no interesting things to say about you know what is man, what is nature, or what is nurture. It, it uh, Brando has a line that says, "The devil is a tiresome click. So the devil is a tiresome collection of genes." And it's like this, like, uh, it's supposed to be this, this idea that he like, I think it's supposed to be the idea that he like went in and did gene manipulation on these animals to like, to like make them more human. And he inserted his own DNA in there. But like the idea that humans, he says, they're absolutely incapable of malice about the animals. Humans are very capable of malice. Like why would, why would having two chaotic creatures mixed together not create He's trying to take the best parts of both, which is a fundamentally dumb when it comes to like <laughs> take the best point. These this isn't like the best point of like a, a plant and an animal. Like he's he's trying to take the best parts of things that share like ninety nine point nine percent of the same DNA. <laughs> but anyway, so the movie's dumb on that front. But also, what he's trying to make is yeah, he's trying to take the best parts and make something human. Though he wants everyone to look like. Uh, Feruza Balk's character. I think we have enough humans too. But he wants he wants the idea is that she's 
human with the best parts of these predatory animals, which is not violence. I like. You know what? Maybe we should have had a whole episode talking about the fucking ridiculousness of the, the, the movie's understanding of science is terrible. Its plan for what they would do if the science existed is terrible, and it doesn't even know what the fuck its plan is. Yeah, so it's, let's, let's it's it's a, it's a, it's a nightmare of that. So let's move let's move towards the end because I I don't think that we're gonna. So I think I think we already kind of talked about the end though. I I'm actually more interested in talking about something else if you don't mind. I don't mean the end of the I, movie. I just mean towards the end of the podcast. Okay, okay, fair enough. <laughs> I don't think that's interesting either. We we blow it every time. <laughs> uh, no, I want to talk about something. So we we kind of get off on the documentary. Um, I want to talk about one moment of the documentary that I think it accidentally does an amazing job of elucidating in a way that you would never see the actual like clear cut version of. And that's a very confusing way for me to say. So Tim Zimmerman is the executive producer of this movie. And he's a he's a powerful guy. He had a lot of control, and he's a huge. He's an old white guy, and he's a huge asshole. Do you know who I'm talking about? Timmerman, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of old white guys in this stock. So, I, <laughs> do you do you actually know who I'm talking about? Tim Zimmerman, no. He okay. He was the executive producer who he has. He wore a white shirt. He's got a button up, and he's got the a little bit of white hair. And he is very clearly has decided from the beginning that he doesn't like Richard Stanley. <laughs> but he's trying to play off he's the guy no he's the guy who's like he never says that but he's like yeah I saw this guy that he shot one hospital scene and I'm like he's gonna be a problem oh he, the the kind of the, the, the kind of quiet guy he's that... quiet but everything he says is like he had a idea of what a director should be and he's trying to make it seem like he, he he's very clearly, in my opinion, trying to – there's other people in the movie that give the benefit of the doubt and here's why we liked him. He is very clearly is like, this guy can't direct a movie even though he's already directed two movies. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's other people in this movie that accuse certain people of making up stories about Richard Stanley to undermine him and to get him fired. And all those stories seem to initiate with him. And here, here's what I'm talking about when I said that this elucidates something that I don't think you would ever see happen in other movies. So Richard Stanley, white guy, but a weird guy, mm-hmm. right? He, you know, he long hair. He's from South Africa, British accent. He's he's the type of guy that like that certain certain people would go, oh, I just don't want to. Yeah, I don't like his way of doing things. Not a fan. Mm-hmm. And it's clear that Tim Zimmerman, in my opinion, now having seen this documentary twice, oh, is Zinnemann one of the found his name Zinnemann. Yeah. Oh, Zinnemann. Yeah. So that was the part that was confusing you. <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so, but he, it's very clear that he is he's, he's EP, and he was against him from the start and did everything he could to eventually successfully remove him from the movie. There's a lot of people that you know. There's a lot of things going on that were against Richard Stanley. Uh, there, there were some people that didn't think he would be financially viable or wanted to get a bigger name director or some of this other stuff. He's the one that seemed to, I just don't like the way he looks and the way he acts. I don't, I don't want him to be in the movie, but he doesn't say that he, he, it's, it's the undercurrent of everything he says and does. And he makes it sound very like, I just knew this guy wasn't going to work. What I think is interesting about that is that for some reason, I feel like in a weird way that elucidates how hard it must be for women and people of color to get anywhere in Hollywood. We already know that's the case when it comes to directors. We already know how how tough it's been and how 
you know, we talk about the the fifty two two films by women, and we talk about how few uh, people of color are able to direct movies, and that's been a fight that they've been fighting against for a long time. And I feel like it's people like Tim Zinnemann who are the idea of why. And they would never show that because no one would ever make a documentary where you'd have a Tim Zimmerman say that stuff about a a, uh, a woman director, person of color, director, whatever, because he probably would be way more measured with the way he speaks. And I'm using him as an example. But because it's a it's a it's a just a weird white guy that he doesn't like. He's a lot more open about how obvious his immediate contempt was, and he didn't think he had any business in the in the movie business, even though he directed two successful films. Mm-hmm. So this is a very roundabout way of saying is that it feels like this is almost an open look to this is this is the way that that Richard Stanley was was treated as just a slightly odd white guy. Can you imagine the people like him who are constantly looking for judgments and ways to undermine those uh, those women directors? those people of color directors, anyone who's not like him. And he's the guy, even though Frankenheimer was a disaster on the set, did not do what they wanted. He's the one that's defending Frankenheimer. It's, it's like, oh yeah, one of the old, one of the old white guys is in here now. And it's not like Frankenheimer made a movie that everyone liked. It's not like Frankenheimer made the set any less chaotic, but they're defending him over like, this was a better choice than Stanley, even to this day. And I, I feel like what I'm saying is very open to easy criticism because it's like, well, pff, he's still a white guy. True. But I think I think what happened to him, while not the same, it elucidates how much that much harder. The, it, it elucidates the people's attitudes towards anyone who doesn't is different than them that control everything that goes on uh, on the producer side and who gets to make movies and stuff. I think that's a great extrapolation of sort of the um, the prejudice against uh, outsiders that pervades uh, pervades a lot of producers' minds. We've had this uh, this thing in recent years where there's like uh, a Colin Trevorrow or these sort of directors who are just not ready for prime time and may never be ready for prime time, getting like completely skyrocketed to fame. And a lot of it are these white young guys that are unproven. They have like one movie under their belt. And you know what it is, right? It's that they had a couple great meetings with a handful of these like directors. And they and producers, and, and producers or sorry, these handful of producers. And all of a sudden they're like, oh shit, I'm getting offers for this, this, and this. Because they they looked at them, they said, This looks like a normal enough guy. You know, he looks it's it, from what we've heard, it sounds like he can run a he can he can run a production. And I have confidence in him. And these guys, these old guys especially, that just don't have any confidence in people of color or women. Like, you're like, oh, yeah, that's all it takes sometimes to derail an entire career is just one guy going, you know, I just don't know if he uh, – I just don't know if he's he's ready yet or I just don't know if he'll, if he's the type to, to for us to trust him. And it isn't sad exactly. to say because they're black or because it's a woman or anything. Yeah, exactly. And and when they – when those old producers that control everything that goes on at the studios meet with those young white guys that look like them, they're like, you know what? This guy reminds me of Steven Spielberg or this guy reminds me of me because because all of the – all of old Hollywood looks like them. 
So even if it doesn't remind them of them specifically, it reminds them of this guy reminds me of a young George Lucas. Like there's all these these points where they feel comfortable putting their faith in these untested white directors where you see anyone that doesn't remind them of, of them and doesn't fit that norm, that they are under intense scrutiny, even just kind of a weird white guy. So if the weird white guy who has directed two critically s- successful movies – Imagine that on like I, I for some reason it just completely hit home this time. And I, again, it's not like I was ever doubting that was the case. But you make the same movie about uh first of all, you make the same movie about uh say a woman director or a person of color director getting fired from the set. It's a completely different movie. And the the Tim Zinnemans of this move of this world, if anything, are not going. Yeah, this guy just I I just by looking at him, they, like he basically says by looking at him, I knew he sucked. They would never say that about uh, in if this documentary existed for for something like that. But they're they're still saying I don't like the way he looked, and so I undermined him at every possibility I could, essentially. So. And he, he and you know Tim Zinnemann's not getting fired from the movie. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's a yeah, he's an exec producer. I I I, I think that that's kind of what we should be doing on the show is extrapolating. They didn't like Stanley because he was this outsider weirdo, and they uh, and all yeah, they didn't use this outsider weirdo, and he got brought in because he had a couple of great meetings with Brando and another producer, Pressman, Pressman. Uh, if we're doing a sweetie report this week, do you want to do a sweetie report? Pressman strikes me as a real sweetie. He even he, when he says like, "Oh man, that's like one of the few times I've ever had to fire somebody." That was that was that was really really hard. I really feel bad about that. And like I think Pressman, uh, from the way he's depicted in the film and all that, qualifies as a real true sweetie. Uh, Zinnemann qualifies as more of this like quiet dude, just like. I don't like the cut of this guy's jib. He's such a frustrating individual because he he adds import to that. Yeah. Like he he it's not that it's not that he can just say I didn't like the way he looked because he he basically says that. But then he has all these reasons about how he was picking up all these like he's like a he's like an individual person conspiracy theorist throughout this entire movie where he's like and then I saw him do this and I knew what that meant. You can see him rationalizing away his like outsider bias uh through these imagined things that didn't happen like very early on yep pretty insane so let yeah let's do let's do quick final thoughts um yeah uh so i think we both agree it's a really good movie it's really like, hit some it, thematic yeah. points it's it's uh it's the third best richard stanley movie I haven't seen the other. I, I we we're definitely going to do Dust Devil, and we're definitely going to do Hardware. They're both great candidates for the show. I like them. Have both you a lot. you've seen them both? So I saw this movie for the first time like when it came out. So it's like three years ago, and I've been meaning to watch Hardware and Dust Devil. Um, we're going to do Dust Devil on the show at some point. I'll save them then. Uh, the documentary is very interesting. I've said I think before on this show that the the only thing I like more than movies is movies about movies. Um, I love these kind of. Uh, 20 year removed retrospective documentaries that like aren't promotional materials and don't wash away the the warts of the making up of a movie. Just on that level, I was already into this movie. Uh, and again, I think it has some I think it has an interesting story of the way uh, the system can overpower someone with the best intentions and works really, really hard. Um, he spent four years on this movie. He's the one that convinced the Wells estate to let him make the studio make the movie. And then it was basically just, uh, 
a constant fight to take it away from him that he eventually lost. So, so I think, I think it's, I think it's, I think anytime a, a documentary about a specific thing can make you think about what this means in a larger context, it's, it's, it's extra, it's extra good. It's got a little bit of extra sum. It's supersized. Yeah. It's got, it's got the good stuff. And then, like I said, actually, what's so funny is that discussing all the positive aspects of the Dr. Moreau, I think I like it even more than I did when we started this podcast. I really, it's not a good movie and it's not a good bad movie. But I think it's a worth-your-time movie. I think I agree, if only, that you devote a three-hour block to watching Lost Souls first. Because I think... It's it's Lost... It's Lost Soul. Lost Soul. I think it's only worth watching... We should do Lost Souls. (laughs) We should do Lost Souls. Um, We should also listen to the Bauhaus song, Lost Souls. Um, We should lose our souls. We should Um, play Dark Souls. We should play Dark Souls. Let's play Dark Souls. Um, yeah, I think that, I mean, I, if you lose your souls, you got to get back before. That's what Richard Stanley didn't do. He wasn't able to get back to his lost souls before he died again. Yeah, that's what. He, that's why he didn't leave Australia. And then John Frankenheimer took over for him. So we let's, get let's, talk. We didn't even get to talk about Frankenheimer. He seems like a huge asshole. He's a weird pick to like. Frankenheimer hadn't had a, like a hit movie in forty years. When Frankenheimer has this. has directed three of my favorite genre movies of all time: The Train. The Train, Manchurian French Candidate. French Connection 2. <laughs> I haven't seen French <laughs> Connection 2. Uh, the Fra- Train, Manchurian Candidate, and Seconds. And Yeah, oh, Seconds. Seconds and, is his masterpiece. And uh, I love Ronin as well, though I wouldn't put it yeah, in the top Ron- 100. Ronin's good. Uh, but yeah, so Ronin's – I think Ronin's great, but he um, – yeah, I, I – He got to make Ronin because of this – oh, we, we – there's, there's – okay. We have to wrap up, but Frankenheimer, there's a lot of weird stuff there, and he seems like a real asshole. He's a real Weisenheimer, but, if you know what I mean. But yeah, so yeah. Le, so let me say, I think that if you're going to watch this movie, I think you should watch Lost Soul beforehand because it yep. informs and makes the movie better as a watch. I think that yep. Kilmer and Brando would just be too overwhelming without it and too confusing. And you just be like, am I watching – am I being trolled right now? Like kind of – but here's why you feel like you're being trolled. I think that giving it gives you context that makes the movie fun. Great Hollywood story. I don't. Yeah, I don't think it makes the movie. I think it's the only thing that makes the, the movie worth it. I don't. I, I. I don't think it makes the movie fun. I did watch it. I did watch Doc first this time around. I'm not sure if that's the order I would recommend though. I think I would go movie first and then. In the same way you wouldn't listen to a comment – like, experience – if you haven't seen either of them and don't know anything about it, I would say watch the movie first and experience the movie and then get your contacts from some of the stuff from the doc. I think they should be watched in close proximity. But in the same way, I wouldn't recommend, like, watching a commentary or listening to a commentary before you watch the movie. I would say that this is this is kind of the same thing. I agree that you should go into every movie pure just in case you like it. But yeah, don't have sex before you watch a movie. Yeah, don't have sex before you watch a movie. Go into every movie a virgin. Um, yeah, not or, not a problem for you, right, Pete? Not a problem for me as a non-virgin. Um, <laughs> I you said that wrong. Not a problem for me. No, it, it is a problem for you because you've you've had the sex. Yeah, I mean, I've I've done it. I'll yeah. do it. I'll do it again too. Because I'm sure you will, Pete. I, I'm, I'm probably really. I am really good at it. Uh, but yeah, I think. I, I think. I think part of our disconnect is that I think the movie is 
like I said, slightly good. The only the only, all everything I like about this movie is hitched to the documentary. So I'll say that. Yeah, that's my final thought on the documentary versus the movie. <laughs> I'm actually a little bummed that we didn't talk about the documentary more. Um, I'm sorry that we hurt your feelings. <laughs> Four hour episode. Uh, we're doing next week. We're doing White God. Yeah, we're doing a white god. The and white god. A white god with Peter Schubert. Sequel to, to Island of Dr. Moreau. <laughs> uh, also, I think white, Also featured a white god. A white god is more of a sequel to Airbud. That's what happens when you ask them to play too many sports. <laughs> Airbud is when you just keep kicking the dog out and then. No, Airbud is what happens when you I haven't seen of a white bandit. god. Do you know that? Oh. Well, <laughs> I will stop my riff. And wait for next week. Thank you. Uh, but, but you do know now I'm going to expect them to play at least one sport. Yeah. Yeah. The, the whole Will point I of the movie is that the whole point of the movie is that um, White God loses a soccer game. And because of that, he has to uh, rend the throats of many a Hungarian. Hmm. I mean, they're just Hungarians. But yeah, Peter Schubert from Germany, <laughs> bordering Hungary, maybe. Um, although if I'm watching the news correctly tonight, I need to learn more about geography <laughs> so I can say who's on our side and who's against us. Buy a globe. Buy a globe. I have one at my desk at work. Never have to look at it. Like- it's all decorative. Uh, and so, uh, we're not gonna, we're not gonna announce, uh, order or guest, but after White God, we're doing, uh, May Musical Month. Uh, Peter in general dislikes the genre I, in general, really like the the genre, and we're tried to pick basically five movies that um, neither of us had seen. We didn't fully succeed, but uh, the rundown of the movies we are doing is Teen Witch, All That Jazz, Phantom of the Paradise, Newsies, Xanadu. Oh, yeah, the, you do the do. Yeah, we're doing the do with Xanadu. <laughs> I'm a that's going to be the we love to so- that's going to be the we love to watch thing. I feel like we're going to have a good split. We are going to have a great split. Okay, so... Speaking of splitting... <laughs> oh my god. What's our movie this week, Aaron? Is it what? M. Night Shyamalan Split? Hey, Peter? Mm-hmm. Good night. <laughs> Thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. If you want to get in touch with us, please reach out to us at either our website, wltwpodcast.com, or our Facebook group, facebook.com backslash we love to watch. And uh, yeah, reach out to us. Give us some feedback, give us some support, uh, suggest movies for the show, all that. We are also available on SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, and iTunes. Thanks for listening.